Amen. While you're still standing, if you could find your Bibles once again, and if you could turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 115, uh, page 510 in the Black Pew Bibles, if you're searching for it there. Psalm 115. As you may know, we've been spending most of our time in the Gospel of Luke, but we do like to take uh, some times away into the book of Psalms, and I think this psalm is fitting as we start this new year. So let me read for us Psalm 115. Hear God's word, which has been preserved for you uh, for this very moment. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven And earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is God's word for us from Psalm 115. You may be seated. God, our Father, would you open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things from your law, that we would once again taste and see that you are good and want nothing else. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, surely you've seen the amazing phenomena that flowering plants will sort of do whatever it takes to get to sunlight. Uh, Perhaps in your own home you've seen this as Flowers, you know, make their way around a corner or uh, through the the crumpled up hose or through the walkway. Uh, God has designed flowers to obviously need sunlight and has also designed them as it seems like they have a mind of their own. They will find their way to the sunlight. Uh, You've perhaps seen uh, flowers, uh, maybe a time lapse video that follow the sun throughout the day and then close up as the sun goes down at night. Imagine what would happen. What would happen if a flower decided that it had a better plan? Uh, So, you know, this uh, unruly flower uh, decided, you know, that street lamp over there shines pretty brightly at night. So I'm going to close up during the day, and at night I'm going to open up. And I don't even have to move. I just focus on that light. Uh, It lights the issue, so I'm just going to find light there. Or maybe that unruly flower finds a flashlight and holds it in its little peddly hands and, 
and just sort of curls around and, and looks down at the flashlight and thinks, I'm good to go. Well, what's going to happen to the flower? Maybe day one it's pretty good, but it's going to wither over time. This psalm calls us to love and trust and worship God alone and to not look to idols, not to look to other things. What happens when we don't do that, Uh, when we turn away from the living God and we find substitute gods? Day one might look okay, uh, but just like the flower, not only will we not get what we're actually hoping for, life, vitality, strength, everything we need, but it's going to change us. Uh, The flower doesn't remain neutral. Uh, The flower withers. People of God, my prayer for you this morning is that you would walk away trusting in the Lord, Uh, that you would walk away this morning leaving behind any other substitute God, any other substitute idea, any other substitute center of your affection or trust so that you could find life in him and so that he could shape you to be who he wants you to be. Let's look at this psalm, because the psalmist, as it were, you know, we know the command, and we're going to look at it in a moment, the command not to love other gods or have other gods before the Lord, that's the first commandment, or the second, which is very much like it, that we wouldn't carve an image to said God. We sort of know the command, but the psalmist here, in one sense, is making a pragmatic argument. He's looking at the people of Israel who have struggled with idols and idolatry for for their whole life, the whole life of the people, and he's saying, let me convince you, not just that it's a command, that should be enough, but let's take a second and say, what's the reason behind the command? And he makes a pragmatic argument, sort of in two parts, which we'll look at together. And and, and the summary of the argument is this, and, and it's the title of the sermon, you are what you trust. You are what you trust. Right? We know that we are what we eat, right? Um, but here the psalmist wants us to know you are what you trust. And, he, and he's going to make two points to convince you to trust the Lord and not anything else. Number one, trusting idols makes you idle. Trusting idols makes you idle. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8. Here at the heart of the psalm, you know, the psalm starts in verse 1 with praise to God. It's going to end in praise to God. That sort of closes in the whole psalm. Verses 2 and 3, we get a sense that God's people are being taunted by the nations. Where is your God? And then verses 4 through 8, the psalmist speaks out against uh, these idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. And then he goes to list their mouth, their eyes, their ears, their noses, their feet that don't function. They don't do anything because they're not alive. We see that idols are idle things. But what are idols? So, you know, Exodus 20 helps us understand. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is you know, God on Mount Sinai laying out who he is, who they are, and what the law is. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And so we see that an idol can be a God, lowercase g, 
in quotation marks, uh, any other so-called God that we would put before the living God or in addition to the living God. So that's commandment number one. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. That's what an idol is, literally, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so idols are false gods, number one. They are, number two, images of those false gods. Or, number three, images of the one true God. In other words, we can worship false gods. Uh, We can worship false gods through some sort of physical medium. Or we can worship or attempt to worship the one true God sort of on our terms, uh, in our way, sort of exerting control over God, or so we think. And so you can see that idolatry is pervasive. And in, in God's people, it's what keeps coming up time and time again. Remember, God commanded Israel to, to wipe out the nations and, and to move in and to, and to not leave any there to tempt them, which they didn't do. Psalm 106 says, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. So that by the time you get to the book of Isaiah and God is explaining to his people why they're about to go into exile, he says, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? Uh, If you read through the Old Testament time and time again, even times of revival, there will be this one line, but the people didn't put away their idols, right? So there'll be these great revivals and yet the people are sort of harboring these images are harboring in their hearts that we love the one true God, and we know he helped us out of Egypt, but just in case, we're going to have these other idols. But what the psalmist tells us is that, is that idols are idle things. Idle meaning pointless, powerless, unproductive, vain. I mean, you, you think of putting your car in neutral, and it idles, right? It doesn't matter how hard you rev it, the car isn't going to go anywhere, And we see in verses 4 through 8 that idols are idle things because they're man-made and they're powerless, right? That's the eyes but do not see, noses but do not smell. They don't even make a sound in their throat. They're powerless. And think of it, what are you trying to do with an idol? You're trying to pray to it, you're trying to bring crops, or you're trying to bring about things. But look at the imagery he uses, right? They, they have eyes but do not see. You might pray to them, but they don't see you. They don't care about you. They have ears, but they don't hear your prayers. They have noses, but do not smell. What, what are the prayers of God's people to God but burning incense coming as a pleasing aroma before him? But a piece of wood doesn't care. They have hands but do not feel. They're unable to work or do anything because they're the work, the doing of human hands. And so idols do not deliver. Like the flower turning away from the sun, to turn to an idol means that you're not even going to get the very things that you're hoping for. In Isaiah 44, Isaiah puts it this way in verse 9, All who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. And then in verses 12 onward, he he, he gives this description of an idol maker. 
Um, you know, he, he cuts some wood and he carves the idol and he puts the idol on the shelf to worship later. But then he's kind of cold, so he cuts some more wood and he puts the wood on the fire and it warms him up. He's a little hungry, so he uses the wood in the fire to heat up his food. Do you see the irony? And Isaiah puts it this way, because we would say, why would someone do that? <laughs> you know, you cut some wood and, and, and you worship some other wood. But here's what Isaiah says, no one considers, nor is their knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest into an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Is there not a lie in my right hand? Idols do not deliver because they are not alive. Idols are idle things, but idols also make those who trust them idol. So in one sense, they're powerless, but in another sense, they're powerful in that those who gaze upon them, those who trust in them, become like them, as verse 8 tells us, that become like them, right? We, of course, we know the adage, as, as we said earlier, you know, you are what you eat, that um, uh, a healthy diet affects you know, your mental capacity, your outlook on life. Um, I mean, remember even in the Old Testament, uh, uh, there was a prophet who was so discouraged and God has him eat some food. And then he's like, oh, okay, I'm ready to listen. Uh, food affects us. And, and what we eat affects us, especially when you measure in weeks and months. Uh, in 2004, there was that documentary, Super Size Me, uh, where the, the main character spent 30 days eating only McDonald's, all three meals, and just within 30 days gained 25 pounds, uh, had health concerns, just in that 30-day period, right? So we kind of know instinctively that what we put into our bodies affects us. It's not neutral. But what about what we put into our mind? What about what we put into our heart? What about what we gaze at? Do you not know that you are what you trust? You are what you rely on. You are what you put your confidence in, right? Because when you're trusting something that you yourself have to prop up to hold you up, that's going to defeat you. But what are we talking about? Because so far we've talked about physical idols, and I hope... (laughs) that no one's harboring some physical idols in their home. If you are, let's talk. But it'd be easy for us to think, okay, well, sure, I, I worship the one true God. I'm a Christian. I don't have any physical images or icons or idols to worship. But what is idolatry? Because it's more expansive than that. We just saw in Colossians that covetousness is idolatry. So what is idolatry? Our larger catechism has a great, much longer exposition in question 105, which I commend to you. The Heidelberg Catechism in question 95 puts it this way. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having 
or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. What's an idol? What is idolatry? Having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the one true God. Remember the people of Israel, how often they they kept worshiping God, but they wanted to worship him through idols or they wanted to take their idols with them. That's usually more what we're guilty of. Dane Ortland, um, an author we've had on the book table, he has a a devotional through the Psalms, and he says of Psalm 115, after reading this definition from the Heidelberg Catechism, perhaps the notion of idolatry seems removed from what you discern in your heart, but in what do you trust is maybe a better question. It might be hard to see how we worship our reputation, but it's easy to see how we trust in our reputation. It's not intuitively obvious that we worship the idol of a swelling bank account, but it's easy to see how we might trust that our uh, trust in our bank account as our deepest functional security, a stronghold of psychological refuge. But this is a refuge with a crumbly foundation. Only in Christ are we secure. Trust in Him, bank on Him, and He will never let you down. What are the idols in our life but the things that we place ultimate trust in? the things that get us through. Luther puts it this way, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So in what are you trusting? And again, it doesn't mean we, we don't have lesser, we certainly have relationships, we have people we trust, we have things that we're passionate about. So, Don't hear what I'm not saying. God has given us many callings. God has given us life and food and art and to enjoy. So that's not what we're talking about. But what even of those good things have you promoted to the position of something? This is going to hold me. This is what I confide in. If I have this, I'm okay. If I don't have this, I'm not okay. If I have this, I'm going to keep trusting God. But if he takes this away... All bets are off. What is it for you? Is it a project that you are focused on? And, and it's like you have tunnel vision. This is all that matters, is getting this project done, whether, <coughs> excuse me, whether a book you're writing or a project around the house or, or a passion project, something, maybe even something that God has called you to do but that you have allowed to sort of take a place of dominance beyond all else. And it crowds out your relationships. It crowds out your thinking life. In Christian history, we've called this a disordered love, right? To have a project, to have something we focus on is not bad. God has called us to be passionate, driven people. Setting New Year's resolutions is not a bad thing, uh, it is, especially when it spurs us on to do greater things for the Lord. But have you taken something even good and, and sort of placed it front and center instead of giving it to the Lord? Is it the trips that you have lined up this year? If you could just get through to the next trip, then you'll be okay. But you're just surviving until then. Is it that your kids are succeeding sort of on your 
terms or doing well? Is it, is it that swelling bank account? Or maybe swelling's a strong word, but is it that bank account that gives you security? What are you trusting in? Is it entertainment? Again, not bad in and of itself, but are you turning to shows or scrolling apps or things that can keep you occupied while you wait for that next thing? Or is it indulging in, in food or other good things that are otherwise good, but indulging in them, taking control over them? Is it some secret sin, just like the Israelites would hide their idols? Is there some sin that you have been holding on to? It's not murder. It's not even a deadly sin, but I'm going to hang on to it just in case. Or is it some substance that numbs the pain for you? Remember what Isaiah tells us when we trust in idols like this, it's, it's like we, we don't even know that we have a lie in our right hand. When our eyes are glued to something right in front of our face uh, instead of the Lord God, we, we don't even know we have a lie in our right hand. And, and don't you know that God is a jealous God? We saw that in Exodus 20, and that sounds harsh, but that's actually good news. That God not only made us, but he loves us. And he not only loves us before the foundation of the world, but he sent Christ to die for us, to win for himself a people. All those who would forsake all idols and trust in him alone and in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins, he would gather to be his people and he would be jealous over them. In fact, he sent Jesus to win for himself that very group of people that he loved. And he is a jealous God. Not jealous in a human way. Not jealous in a sinful way. Jealous in the sense that he looks to us and says, you are my people and I am your God. And I will not share your heart with another. First for my sake and my glory, but also for your sake. Because when you look to another, you will wither and you will die. And you will become like them. You will have mouths that do not speak. You will have eyes that do not see. You will have feet that cannot walk. You won't even make a sound in your throat. Later in the psalm, it says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But those who worship idols are like the living dead. And the Lord says, I'm a jealous God. I am jealous for your heart and for your life. And so for my glory and for your good, stop looking to these other things. Look back to me. I can give you what you need. And they can't. They're like a lie sitting in your right hand. Trusting idols makes you idle, but trusting the Lord, number two, brings you life. Can't you see the pragmatic argument here. It's like when our kids are crying over a toy that's been broken for months, and, but they just happen to find it under the couch, and, and, and they're just weeping over it, and you're thinking, 
we have like 10 new toys, you know, and you're just trying to convince them. <laughs> you know, you could play with that, but it's probably going to like cut you at this point. It's so broken. <laughs> Look at this, like come over here. I, I want better things for you. And again, the psalmist here is making this kind of argument. He, he just told us what the idols are like. They're idle, they're pointless, they're, they're dead things. But not the Lord. The Lord is no idol God. The Lord is no idol God. What are the nations saying in verse 2? Where is their God? And he says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And so these idols are of the earth, but our God is in the heavens. These idols are man-made, crafted by human hands. But in verses 15 and 16, we see that God is the one who made heaven and earth. These idols are powerless, but he is omnipotent. They have eyes but do not see and mouths but do not speak. God sees his people and sees their affliction. God hears their prayers and delights to hear them. God has a mouth that speaks promises to us. He will bless the people here right in the psalm. After they've been called to trust in the Lord, he will bless us. He will bless us. He will bless us. The Lord has a mouth in this sense and speaks to his people. And he has a hand that is mighty, that grips a shield and a sword in verses 9 through 11 for those who trust in him. These idols bring death, but he brings blessing and life. And so we're called, and you're called this morning, in a threefold call in verses 9 through 11, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Unlike a block of wood, which is a dead thing, He has a mighty hand and an outstretched arm for you. And verses 12 through 13, in this liturgy of worship that we see in this psalm, the priest comes back in verses 12 and 13 to assure the people, God has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless us. He will bless us. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. And if that wasn't enough, he, he brings a blessing from the Lord, which we'll end the service in. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The, the heavens are the, are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Our Lord is no idol God. He is powerful and mighty and able. And that means that true worshipers are no idol people. If those who make and trust idols become like them, what happens when we Trust in the one living and true God. Well, Psalm 125.1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Or Leviticus 11.14, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. When we worship the one true God, we become like him. Because what are we? We are made in the image of God. Idols are like a mockery of who God has made us to be. Idols are a mockery. An idol is a dead thing that represents a dead thing. 
But human beings, whether they know it or not, are like a true idol, if I could say that provocatively. We are like a true idol of the one true God. When someone looks at human beings, they get a reflection of who God is. And when someone looks at those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and are being made day by day into his image, they get a clearer and clearer image of who God is as we trust in him. And so you see that idolatry destroys not only true worship, but idolatry actually destroys true humanity. God has made us to be worshiping beings. It's a distortion. We are people who trust and worship and desire and prioritize and bank on and rely on. And God's made us to be that way. But he knows that he is the only one who can be the center of that. And so, will you trust the Lord alone in 2023? Will you use money to his glory instead of trusting it for financial security? Will you enjoy your family with the strength and the heart he provides without idolizing some vision of family success? Will you work with passion on your business or project to God's glory instead of selfishly hoarding your time and your heart for it? A a coat hanger is a wonderful thing for holding coats, right? But when you try to hang off of a coat hanger with your full weight, it's not such a wonderful thing. God has given you many things to enjoy and to love and to use for his glory, but none of them are meant to hold the weight of your life and your heart and your struggles and the calling you have as one made in the image of God to worship him and worship him alone. Only he can bear that. And when you do, just like the flower that turns toward the sun, even if it has whittled away, it will regain strength even in this new year, right? Like the, the car that has been frosted over, you know, when the, when the sun comes out, it doesn't take long for that frost to thaw away. And God will do it. He will shape you into who he's calling you to be this year if you will but look to him and him alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, that your word convicts us I pray, God, where there are idols being harbored in my heart or in our hearts, that you would drive them away, cast them down, that they would no longer be a part of our lives. We've seen, Lord, that they're not worth it. I pray that our hearts would be attuned to you and you alone as our God, as our Savior, as our only steadfast hope and anchor for our souls. Would you do this by your Spirit? as we trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.